0: hello and welcome back to another episode of you want to do what with dan and julie today we have jake mayon who is a mountaineer hi jake
1: hello hello how are you all good all good how are you i'm not too bad thank you it is a monday evening i feel like we've <laughs> broken the start of the of the week uh, and it's going to be a good week it will be. It will be.
0: So do you want to let everyone know a little bit about what you actually do, Jake?
1: Yes, absolutely. So my 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 day job as such is management consultancy, but I guess I'm probably slightly more well-known for mountaineering and adventuring. And so I guess that my career path to date, because of course, you know, nobody really knows where, where our careers will take us, is very much of of following a true passion. And for me, that's been about mountaineering and adventure and climbing. And then, Can you manage that? Can you balance that with the the rigors of a day job and family (laughs) and all those other fun things that come with life? So where did this passion for mountaineering and exploring come from? So it came very much from the sense of being completely useless at sport, at school. Really? So, yeah, I am completely malcoordinated. I can't catch, kick, or throw a ball to save my life. <laughs> uh, my, my children are already better, better than I am in terms of their hand-eye coordination. Uh, but you know, I very much believe that we all have within us an opportunity to be good at something. It's just, can we find it? You know, and hopefully we can be good at many things. Uh, and I also... I don't know whether or not you guys have sort of share a sort of similar experience from school, but there seems to be sort of quite a strong correlation of those who were good at sport and those who were considered cool. Mm, and, definitely. And, and whilst, of course, I do appreciate that, that correlation is not causation, uh, I thought to myself, well, I'm definitely not in the cool gang because I can't play sport. So, if I can find a sport that nobody else does, then I will be the best in the school, and by default, I will then become cool. So, <laughs> it, this led me down this, this incredible path, or perhaps I should say up this incredible path, uh, and and you know by the end of it, of course, you know I I might have found something that turned rapidly from a hobby into a passion, a way of life. Uh, I don't think I came cool at all, um, other than <laughs> a very literal sense of the world and uh, word, and I've got quite uh, chilly on some of my expeditions.
0: So you have some pretty impressive uh, records of of your mountaineering. Tell us a little bit, little bit
1: about those. So when I first started climbing, the the big the big challenge that I set myself in the first few years was that of a challenge called the Seven Summits, which is the highest mountain on every continent and this was the the late 90s so it was still a real novelty back in those days i mean it 's still pretty uncommon that people do it these days, but uh, it, it was definitely in you know much fewer people who did it and at the time, I was 14, and the youngest person in the world to complete it was a British uh, army officer, actually, called Sandeep Dillon. And he was 28 years old, and he'd just become the youngest person in the world to climb the highest point on every continent. And if you can imagine this cocky, naive 14-year-old, <laughs> trying to be cool, of course, uh, thinks to himself, he's 28, I'm 14, 28, 14, 28, old man. You know, 28 is ancient. <laughs> That's is w Yeah, I know, I know, completely past it. Uh, and if he can do all of that, then why can't I? And so, despite the fact that I'd never climbed a mountain before, that despite the fact I'd never climbed outside of the UK, I decided to set my sights, uh, I guess as the cliche goes, as high as possible, and uh, uh, and on this sort of this this journey of trying to climb the seven summits of the highest mountain on every continent. And, and whilst I'm sure we'll probably talk a little bit more in the detail about this, of course, as I then undertook this challenge, along that, that journey and that route, I found out a lot more about myself. And of course, when I eventually succeeded in it, what I realized was that actually I hadn't conquered my life's ambition at all. All I had done is to pull up on another ladder, you know, another rung on the ladder and, and, and more mysteriously appear out of the ether above me. So, you know, that one of the earlier lessons that I found was, you know, you can set yourself some big, exciting challenges that you think are the ultimate challenges. But amazingly, when you're succeeding them, if you're fortunate enough to succeed in them, you realize actually it's just a stepping stone to something bigger and better.
0: So how old were you when
1: you finished it? So I was 21 and 134 days old. Wow. And is, is that still the record? No, it's not. No, no. Oh, oh. goodness. I, I am now the old man. In comparison, <laughs> or certainly that record. But well, well,
2: hopefully you inspired it. some people too. Well, uh... well,
1: yeah, maybe, maybe. I'll let myself gently, down gently with that one. Um, so, so yeah, I, so I did it uh, So just after I turned 21 and got to the top of Everest, which was the final of my seven summits, uh, which, which was amazing. And it was everything I was expecting it to be. It was a complete myriad of emotions, of elation, of relief of exhaustion it was just fantastic um but uh as i say i was um 21 i was at university at the time it then was beaten uh i can't remember a year later a few years later uh, and i think the current record is 14 wow yeah which is pretty punchy which is pretty punchy
0: wow i mean i I don't see i can't believe that 14 that is really (laughs) young What, so what is it actually about mountaineering and exploring that really excites you and makes you go back yeah. and back to it?
1: So it, I guess the, the answer to that question is very different now as to what it was back when I first started. So if I try and sort of put myself back in those teenage years about what it was all about, um, it was a sense of, of the adventure, of course, of the challenge. But in terms of of who I was, I think it was very much a piece of sort of searching for my identity and this idea of of finding a a challenge, finding something to do which was different, that not that many people did, that made me, um, uh, you know, sort of uncommon in that sense. Uh, And so the idea of of dare to be different was absolutely there right from the start. And again, you could sort of, you know, I'm sure my my, my uh, you know, psychotherapist would probably ask me, well, why did you feel like that? Um, and and again, I think, you know, I was just a very normal and average kid growing up, um, you know, pretty pretty middle of the road, um, you know, never first at much, never last at much, and so to find something which allowed me to create my own identity and something that i would then become known for and known as was uh you know was was quite important to me and doing the the climbing the adventuring setting out on this big challenge and something that was so unfamiliar was the route to this destination
0: i think that's there's something in all of us isn't there that sort of urge to explore and 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 discover things and and travel a bit um but i I feel like nowadays there's less and less opportunity to do that and mountaineering is probably one of the last sort of adventures you can go on
1: yeah i mean i think i think you know again i can sort of comment in numerous ways on that at the moment there isn't much exploring that many of us can do um or or at least you know unless we're going for a grand adventure to the attic um (laughs) but uh you know as long as there are no more than five other people there um but yes I, i i quite agree i think this this idea of of seeking new experiences and and of course you know the reasons for exploring have you know are, are many and varied you've got everything from sort of you know the the original exploration of of finding new lands and <laughs> and places to conquer and all sorts of colonial stuff that went on you know a long time ago, which I think you know many people would like to forget about um, but but then you've also got that sense of exploration for science uh, for understanding more about the planet. Uh, I was watching the new Attenborough program the other day, which was fascinating, and what was amazing about it was was watching the footage of him in the 1950s and 60s going to parts of the world that that really no tv camera had ever been to before and so he was bringing that sense of exploration to people's living rooms um and and you know and again you've got this sense that uh, you know current covid situation aside that any of us could jump on a plane and be almost anywhere in the world okay slight budget you know notwithstanding (laughs) um within 24 hours you know whereas you know even 60 70 years ago you might be talking weeks if not months to get to somewhere yeah um you know the world has opened up but th- then one could also say that's that's the opportunity for us to explore ourselves inwardly as much as exploring the outside world
2: so you've obviously um this isn't not your full-time job um mm. so how do you balance it because i can't imagine a quick trip up everest is the same as a two-week holiday um what, what what's life like for you to balance your passion
1: with a career it's it's a challenge it's a bit like sort of spinning a lot of plates at the same time because of course yeah it's not it's not just as simple as as a as a nice um, you know seesaw with with a career on one side and uh yeah an adventure on the other side because of course you then add in family commitments i'm an officer in the uh, in the army reserve so you add that in so so i've got sort of four major things sort of vying for my time my attention my 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 wallet etc um and climbing is definitely not necessarily the most expensive of those for anyone who's got children will understand um <laughs> but yeah it, it is tricky, and so I think that you know again at the end of at the end of the year so to speak you know you have to look back and reflect on what you've done or perhaps look forward to the next year and think okay well, well what do i want to do what do i want to achieve uh and again you know these are strange times that we live in so so thus far this year i haven't done a big expedition i was aiming to do uh for very obvious reasons uh i hope we'll get an opportunity to to, to repeat it or to go and do it next year uh but i booked two weeks off at the beginning of december uh, Um, And I don't know where I'll be able to go, but I just want to go somewhere. Uh, If that's going overseas, amazing. If it's going up to Scotland and do a bit of some Monroe bashing, uh, climbing some hills up there, you know, whatever, whatever I'm able to achieve. So it's, it's a constant balancing act.
0: So mountaineering and exploration as, a, as an industry as such, it's hard to describe it as that, but people do work in it full-time. How is the industry actually structured? Can you be a full-time mountaineer?
1: Yeah, you can. So you can look at it on various different levels. You've got, um, you've got those who are... So the professional adventurers, uh, who you know, I, I guess they are the mountaineering influencers, you could say, because you know they're they're, they're probably funded through sponsorship, so they're just going on a lot of expeditions. There, to be fair, there aren't a lot of those in the world. Is that people sort of like maybe Aldo Kane, people like that? Yeah, well, it is, but I mean, actually, you look at Aldo and and his his main career. I mean, obviously, he's got his military career, but his mm. his main career is about facilitating the expeditions. Right. Um. So, so he is a. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm trying to think how he describe himself, but he's sort of a, a remote working specialist. Mm. So, whether or not you want to, you know, if you're Steve Backshaw and you want to go and film an, you know, a trip, brilliant. Aldo's a great guy to have there with you uh, because not only can he do the adventurous stuff, but also he's very used to working in hostile environments. Mm. Um, but you could have, you know, in theory, he, you, you could get like a, um, a university group who are going to sort of a weird and wonderful part of the world who employ him to go along with them to, to support them. So, so, you can definitely do this of the remote working uh, as a wilderness uh side of things and that sort of leads me on to the idea of guiding or, or professional guides mm. so um, either in the uk or internationally you have various of guiding schemes so uh, some countries in fact quite a lot of countries you don't actually need a formal guiding qualification to have people or you know to get people to pay you to to go into the mountains um, but obviously, uh, hopefully, what, what people who are marketing, to them, marketing themselves as guides is that they have the experience, ideally some qualifications, because that generally says that they've passed certain you know, quality assurance uh, and they have that experience um, and they're up to date with you know, their first aid and, their, you know, and everything they need for it. So you can definitely work full time uh, or, uh, you know, again, it's not exactly easy, especially at the moment, but there are definitely opportunities to work full time as a mountaineering guide, uh, climbing instructor outdoor education things like that again whether or not that is you know working in your you could be starting off working as a climbing instructor at a local climbing wall and then venturing out from there to people who spend the vast majority of the year overseas on big expeditions and they'll bounce from Kilimanjaro to Nepal in the spring and then Pakistan in the summer and then they'll do the Antarctic in the winter and so they're permanently sort of jumping from you know, one adventure to a next adventure, uh, either as as owners uh, of, of um, guiding companies or as the guides themselves.
0: So do you, you're in the reserves, obviously, you mentioned earlier, do you find that a lot of mountaineers or explorers have a call of military background in some ways?
1: Um, I I don't, uh, you know, I wouldn't know, and I'd be purely hazarding a guess in terms of, you know, what proportion of people who, you know, who work in the industry have some sort of military background. And I think it's, you know, it wouldn't be, you know, insufficient, um, or it wouldn't be a small number. But at the same time, there'll be plenty of people who have, you know, gone grassroots upwards uh, into the sort of the climbing and and the adventure world. Um, You know, I could see that the, the the military traditionally was very much a place where that would have that might have started because of the amount of amount of adventurous training that you would have done in the military, uh, the experience of, of just being outside and living in those kind of environments, um, and those skills that you would have therefore had when you left the military. Um, but I think nowadays, actually, you know, it's just as easy one could say to get in, uh, you know, straight in, and there are plenty of. Um, uh, places such as Plas brennan in in Wales, um, or you know up in Scotland at sort of the National Mountain Centre, where you could go almost of zero to hero um, on a guiding qualification um, over the course of you know many months or or, or years potentially. Having the uh,
2: the Seven Peaks completed at twenty one was probably quite good on your CV. <laughs> um, I was wondering, what are some of the biggest things you've probably pulled from your mountaining mountaineering?
1: experience that's helped you in industry so i think for for me one of the things that's really important is is how you work with other people um, contrary to what a lot of people would think you know and they probably assume that every expedition i go on i sort to build my team from ground up and get the best of the best and people i've worked with for years actually a lot of the time i'm i, I might be climbing alongside or partner with people i don't know that well or haven't climbed with it before so the ability to sort of to be metaphorically parachuted into a group of people and to you know you, you may be very different in in your background your outlook um but to say okay we're here to work together to achieve a a collective aim let's make the best of it um and i've you know i've seen on expeditions and in the commercial and corporate world uh many people who uh, let's let's just say don't necessarily fit cleanly or comfortably into working with others um you know because a lot of it is about compromise um and it's not saying that you know have to reduce yourself to the level of the bare minimum but you know we'll all have certain things that we like but if we're part of a team we have to realize that we're there to support the collective endeavor and that might means of taking a, a step back from the things that that we personally want uh to maximize the chances of the of the team um and so i think that's the really important skill to have uh it's not me 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 um ironically considering that most most you know glossy photos of mountaineering is about somebody standing on top of a mountain (laughs) waving a flag (laughs) um you know actually it's the team and it's the group that that helps you get there or that you're part of in that journey
0: have you always wanted to be a full-time mountaineer, or are you very much happy
1: having your career and uh, hobby separate? So when I first left university, uh, I, I tried to do it full time. Um, but what I what I quite quickly realised, or, or, or perhaps I went into it in slightly the wrong way, in that it wasn't actually the mountaineering piece that I was trying to do full time. Even though I sort of was calling myself a full-time mountaineer, the the piece that's sort a of paid the mortgage or or, you know bought the beer at the end of the week was the was the was the public speaking was you know some media work that went alongside it more often than not actually you didn't get paid at all for the media work um that was a bit of an ego trip but helped sort of you know promote (laughs) promote yourself um and to build your your identity within the world which therefore that, that either it was easier to get sponsorship for the expeditions or that people would have you go and speak. Um, and, and the speaking could be very lucrative, You know, getting paid a lot of money uh, for a relatively short amount of time. Uh, and certainly at university thinking to yourself, oh, OMG, you know, I can't believe that people are paying me, organizations are paying me to come and talk about my holidays. Basically, <laughs> uh, and my adventures. Okay, slightly different holidays to most people. Uh, now that was that was pre-financial crisis. So that was pre two thousand and eight, or you know the last big financial crisis. Um, and and so I left university two thousand seven. Of course, financial crisis hit two thousand eight, and a lot of the big sort of corporate gigs dried up. And so I spent sort of a few years, you know, doing odds and sods, and you know, doing a lot of speaking at schools. Really enjoyed that, um, you know. But you you do just as many for free as you would that you'd managed to get. Any Budget for um and going on a few expeditions and few trips. And it wasn't long until I realized actually, yeah, is this really sustainable? Um, I hadn't gone down the route of trying to get climbing qualifications. Uh it's definitely something I could have done, but I think I, I realized that I didn't want to be a professional guide. Uh, I wanted to climb for the for the things that I was interested in, um, and and not necessarily just end up sort of doing the same trip again and again and again with different with different groups. Um, and 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 that was when I sort of had a, a bit of a, a, an epiphany moment of thinking. Right, well, you know, can I try and get into a career where where I don't completely sell my soul to the corporate world, but I can, you know, continue my my, my military service, but also continue a bit of climbing. And I've been very fortunate. To, to to get into a management consultancy career which which traditionally in terms of management consultancy you know would be seen very much as tied to a desk um you know doing computer system migrations and things like that but i um i work in sort of the field of leadership and development which is fascinating and chimes very closely with 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 what i do sort of outside work Mm. Uh, so i'm very fortunate in that
0: And somebody listening to this um, that that wants to be a full-time mountaineer Mm. or guide, what's the best way to go about getting some of these expeditions funded?
1: So, well, okay, so I think that that there's two different things. If you want to be the full-time mountaineer and not necessarily the guide, then you know then you've got to think about the funding really closely if you want to be a guide then the opportunity there is much easier to go on amazing trips because um you know ultimately you you build up your reputation uh and either you get your own client list uh or you uh you work for a company that offers you know uh, basically a, a a mountaineering agency or a travel agency who offers adventures around the world and they use you to guide expeditions so you know you get paid to go and do these amazing things um and uh, you know and i've got a number of friends who who do that uh, you know and sometimes i look at them quite jealously <laughs> when they're you know just about to go and jump on a plane off to somewhere wherever it is and i'm thinking you know when i do those kind of things i've had to work really hard to go and get the you know the funding for it but, of course, the grass always seems greener on the other side, um, because of course you know they are working to the client yeah. uh, and you know uh, uh, somebody that I know quite well at the moment is um, is in the process of a huge lawsuit with a client because of something that went on on, a, on an expedition um, no, no, nobody was hurt or anything like that thankfully um, and ironically it was because because the guide made a very uh, safe decision uh, but the client wasn't very happy with the decision that was made um, so you know you, you it comes with certain other challenges that come with it mm. so so cycling back to the idea of, of the doing it more for yourself so it's not your job um, uh, and and the sponsorship or the self-funding I mean self-funding is the the easiest in theory, but often the hardest practically, or maybe it should be the other way around, you know, because ultimately <laughs> you, need, you need your own money. So either your job or, or whatever you're doing has to be able to, you know, allow you to save up so you can spend your uh, the pennies at the end of the month on an adventure. But if you're looking down the sponsorship side, that that in itself could be a, you know, a multi-hour long conversation. Because, um, you know, the crux of that question is why would anyone pay you to go on your own holiday (laughs) um and and sort of sometimes rather flippantly i refer to the definition of an expedition being a holiday that somebody else pays for (laughs) Uh, but but you know if you look at you know if if you're cynical that's what it is i Um, think i need to rethink some things (laughs) yeah exactly so so i think therefore you've got to think very carefully if you're trying to get sponsorship, you've got to think really carefully about how you're presenting it to your target audience to get them to come on side and you know especially for people who are earlier on in their funding career i would say keep it as close to home as possible and I, you know I'm not, I'm not necessarily saying that everybody is fortunate that mummy or daddy could pay for it um but sit down and and create a list of your network of your parents network of, of you know close friends and contacts uh, you know and really as close as possible uh, certainly you know no more than 1 degree of separation so you know a friend of a friend maybe that's 2 degrees um but people that you could potentially get in touch with people that would know you uh and and you know let's not kid ourselves they're probably not going to put their hand in their pocket and give you 50,000 pounds to go and climb everest <laughs> but if you could find you know 100 people who might be willing to give you 500 quid. I I know that in itself sounds just as bonkers as finding (laughs) one person to give you 50 grand. Um, But you know, lots of little bits of money um, of people who just want to support you because you're doing something amazing, then that's really cool. Um, If you're going down the corporate side, then that in itself is a great challenge. You have to you know take on a much more professional outlook and actually when when i think back to when i first started doing it so i cringe at some of the the early either letters that i sent out you know back in the days when it pretty much was letters and stamps um but uh but also just the relationships that i had you know amazing i still managed to get a little bit of funding from from organizations but often they did tend to be connections you know it was the father of a friend of mine um and you know so you know it would be, it would be wrong of me to say that, you know, I haven't used my network. Um, and, you know, I know you could argue that it's using my own privilege of that network, but make the most of it, um, you know, to, to see what you can get. Yeah. The other thing is also is grant schemes and award schemes as well. So, so I was, I was very fortunate actually. And, and, and in some ways this probably helped me right from the beginning when I was eighteen I, was, um, I got a something called a Winston Churchill Memorial Trust Traveling Fellowship, which is a bit of a mouthful, but essentially yeah. <laughs> they, they give out about one hundred of these a year um, and they can be worth you know anything from sort of four grand to six or even eight grand I think potentially um so it's a you know it's a large pot of money that's going out to help fund people from the UK who are going overseas to to have to learn something to do something different um and you know there is often a category which is maybe connected to adventure but to be honest most of the categories are professional categories so you might have a police uh, you know police officer who's going to New Zealand to study you know Kiwi policing techniques or you might have you know uh, a dry stone stone waller who's going to Lesotho to study you know wall building in in Africa you know so it's all sorts of these amazing opportunities and and anyone who's uh um, you know is, is looking for funding, I would absolutely encourage you to go and have a look at the Winston Churchill Memorial Trust, so so WCMT. Um, And they give out loads of these every year. I'm not quite sure actually what's going on at the moment, but I was very fortunate and that helped fund a number of my early expeditions. Um, But there are plenty. The British Mountaineering Council, the Royal Geographical Society, um, all sorts of different organisations, which if you just go and have a look at them and look at for their awards, their grants, um, all sorts. Uh, Land Rover do a, a bursary every year for the Royal Geographical Society, which includes cash and the use of a Land Rover discovery for an adventure um so if you're creative you've got a good idea you know the sky's the limit
2: wow okay uh, that's brilliant for people to get started in there mm. i'm wondering you have obviously completed quite a lot by the age of 21
1: what was it for you after that where was your next big goal so uh, earlier i spoke about that feeling of getting to the top of everest and and you know. F- feeling complete and, and actually in some ways you know whilst it was this incredible myriad of emotions of, of elation relief exhaustion etc and, and joy um actually completeness is probably the wrong phrase if, if if anything it's the antipathy of what i actually found on the summit i don't quite know what i was expecting to find at the top of the world <laughs> uh, you know it's sort of some ticker tape parade and and you know tinsel and and potty poppers but uh, but actually it, in some ways it was a little bit of an anticlimax um because for for seven years of my life i've been so focused you know most of my teenage years i've been so focused on on building up to to the seven summits and climbing everest that i hadn't really thought that much about what came after it um at that stage of my life i was an army scholar i was going to join the army full time uh but suddenly reaching south of everest and, and even literally whilst coming down from the summit i was already thinking what next you know what what climb do I do next? And I don't know if beforehand I'd sort of been expecting that after Everest I would hang up my crampons and it would be slippers and you know writing my memoirs in front of a roaring fire. Um, But I just hadn't put any thought into terms in in terms of the future. Uh, But on the way down from Everest I thought, well, how do I top that? You know, I obviously can't go any higher. But can I go harder? And and still, you know, something similar to this. And so the fixation for a long period of my life became uh, a mountain called K2, which is the second highest mountain in in the world. And in the end, it took 10 years and three attempts until I finally got to the top of K2. Uh, That has a
0: really deadly reputation, doesn't it, K2?
1: It, it does indeed. I mean, it's known as the, as the Savage Mountain, and uh, I think it was Chris Bonington once referred to it as the gold medal of mountaineering. So you know that puts it into perspective in mm. terms of you know the the scale and the danger. I mean, certainly the first time I went there, it had a statistically speaking, it had a had a summit to death rate or death summit rate of for every four people who got to the top, one person died. Jesus, which. Wow. And again coming back to this idea of of you know sponsorship and selling selling yourself yeah. um, is an interesting one ironically in some ways I think that was part of the attraction to some sponsors even if it was not something I really brought up that much <laughs> at home um I'd like to say however for the record that whilst it was you know 4 to 1 or 1 to 4 when I first went there when I went when I went back for the third time it had changed it was it was 1 to 5 oh Oh. (laughs) (laughs) yeah
2: (laughs) um with um are you having such a passion and uh, such a drive for mountaineering are you able to take that drive and put it into the other aspects of your life such as your career and the Army reserves
1: yes i am i again i'm very fortunate that um I'm just a naturally enthusiastic person Uh, when I find something that I'm interested in that I want, want to do, which one would hope actually most of us would be like um, that I will really give it my all and throw myself into it. Um, I think the other thing about climbing that it teaches you is, is you have to, to, innovate and when i say innovate, i'm not saying i'm inventing new equipment or anything like that but you're constantly having to be creative you know the 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 route up the mountain is 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 rarely unless you're on snowden is rarely a nice paved path so you're having to be creative with your route finding with how you get somewhere and i think that's a really important lesson you know both in short-term projects but also in life as well you know it it, it's it's really positive to have a goal to have a target to have something you're aiming for but at the same time yes you need a bit of a plan but, but don't risk being so dogged in sticking to that plan that actually you miss the opportunities that come along the way um and you know you never quite know where that path may lead in order to get to that destination even if it's a, a, a momentary destination that you're aiming for um you know if i reflect on the fact that sort of i introduced myself today as a as a management consultant. If you told that to the university version of me, I would have, I would have laughed in my (laughs) ear. I, I, you know, don't be ridiculous. There's absolutely no way I would be ever calling myself anything like that. Uh, you know, you know, I had friends who were going to work for Accenture and McKinsey's and OCC and places like that. Uh, that was not going to be me. Um, And so, you know, this is the wonderful thing of life is, is you end up going in all sorts of different directions and, you know, suddenly you, you wake up and you go, wow, how did I get here? What, what an amazing journey.
0: I think it's a really good point. And it was one of the reasons sort of when we were exchanging emails, I was really excited to get you on because I don't think, you know, 50 year careers are really going to exist um, for our generation and the generations after Mm. it's about taking and learning skills and being able to adapt and take opportunities, like you say.
1: Absolutely. You know, it, it is, it is, you know, very much now is the moment for, uh, you know, sort of Gen Y, you know, it is, uh, I think, what did they say that it's, you know, that in the first 10 years of your working career, you'll have had 10 different jobs, something something ridiculous that, uh, whereas if you said that Almost to my generation, someone would look at you and go, "That obviously just means you're really bad at your job and you keep getting fired." <laughs> uh, whereas now, for the current generation, uh, you know, who are entering the the work stream now, you know, that is a case of sort of jumping, not necessarily from different organisations, but sort of jumping from one role to another, and and just being very nimble and flexible mm. about what you do. Uh, and that that I think is exciting because let's face it, you know, the world is changing so quickly that you know 50 year career you know if you set out on that now that job might not even exist in three years let alone mm. 50 years uh so you know don't you know be very careful about uh, i'm, I'm sort of very conscious there are a lot of a lot of current um, career paths that are potentially threatened by this but think about the future of of a career uh you know and, and what will what will this look like in a few years time what will this industry look like in a few years time um you know if you told someone who 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 went to work for bp or shells of 30 years ago uh that you know nowadays whilst obviously most of their revenue is still drawn from um, you know from from petroleum uh, that actually you know bp would stand for beyond petroleum not brit you know not not you know what, what it did um but it's 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 amazing to see how these different industries are adapting
0: and you're uh you're part of the army reserves which is Mm. uh, amazing already but is there sort of a um a link there with the adventure as well do you do you get involved with that side of the army
1: um i do although actually ironically i uh, whilst there are huge opportunities to do lots of what we call adventurous training at within the military i haven't actually done that much and i don't know whether or not that's because it's a little bit of a busman's holiday for me um (laughs) you know possibly um but it's it's just about so where you where you focus your time um you know i reflect on actually a whole load of my soldiers this weekend went sailing Uh, for the weekend they got paid to go sailing you know and 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 then and then you know this morning they went back to their normal jobs um granted for most of them that was probably just going downstairs to their office uh, or to their (laughs) living room you know um, but uh you know but they spent the weekend you know all all you know in their waterproofs um sailing around Gosport, which is which is really cool and the majority not all of them of course uh, because that would be dangerous but the majority of the people on the boat on the yacht had never sailed before Mm. So, it, it, you know, the Army Reserve and the Army in general, the military, sorry, I should say, um, and, and the, uh, the Royal Marines Reserve and the uh, the, you know, the Naval Reserve and, and uh, the R.F. Reserves, you know, so many great opportunities to try new things. And that's one of the things I really love about it um, is, uh, you know, especially for me who's been in it for a few more years, is seeing new recruits coming in from all sorts of different walks of life. Some people who have a lot, some people who've had nothing. Um, and of choosing this as a we tend not to call it part-time but spare time career where it can be something that they just do a little bit in the background or they can turn it into a a proper secondary career um the other nice thing especially at the moment with you know so many jobs being under threat is that with the army reserve it's pretty much always guaranteed that you know if you were to be made redundant tomorrow you could probably be you know be working and have money coming in next week with something in the army and don't worry i'm not talking about being sent off to some (laughs) war zone around the world Um, but there are so many opportunities
0: so it sounds like
1: it's um a great place for anyone with
0: sort of an adventurous spirit to to get involved with what's the sort of best way to get involved with the reserves
1: so if you're looking at the reserves um the the best thing to do is is just to go uh, i talk about it very much obviously from the from an army point of view but same for the raf and the royal navy um but go to to army uh, the army website so army jobs um and and just have a look and just or just type in army reserve uh and and have a look and what you would do is you would you would you could do a bit of research, um, and certainly for the Army Reserve, because the army reserve is is uh, local tends to recruit locally, so wherever you are in the u k uh, and you can work this out on their website is you find where your nearest army reserve unit are um and you know they'll probably give you a few that are nearby uh, and just ring them up and just go and have a visit and just go and knock on a knock on a door of a army reserve center you probably may find that there's one just down the road from you or in the next door town that you'd sort of never really been aware of and and now you'll never miss it uh, and just go in and say hello and say you know uh, i'm just interested to see what you do you know there is never any compulsion um they're not going to press gang you they're not going to you know <laughs> if, you, if you walk in they're not going to sort of lock you up and send you off to you know boot camp or anything like that um, and you know and we get loads of people who come along and they just you know have a look and and you know come along for an evening or a couple of evenings to see what we do and then they don't come back and that's absolutely fine because you know they decide it's not for them but they've come and they've, they've had a look and that's what's really important uh, fortunately we get loads of people who decide to stay because they really enjoy. It. <laughs> um mountaineers like
2: yourself who balance uh, the career and the passion what would you say are some of the uh, the biggest p- uh, personality traits that help you thrive um
1: so one of them i think well uh, uh, the first one is actually the one, the one that you mentioned in that is, is passion be passionate i think you know especially I mean not that mental health hasn't been an issue before but but now that it's so much you know we're so much more aware of it um you know be, be passionate about things you know feed off your own energy um, and that I think can be really positive and I know that you know you know we all have challenges and we all have things that don't go the way we would like them to go um, but if we can find something however small it is and you know whether or not it's climbing mountains or it's making airfix models it doesn't matter uh, but something you really enjoy doing you get a lot of sense of self-worth out of it And I think self-worth is really important again from a mental health point of view um, that you go I I enjoy this whether or not it's something you do by yourself or you can do with other people Uh, even if it's something you do do by yourself think about how you can get involved with others you know joining a club or a group so at least you can you can share your experience or, or share other people's experiences so so be passionate about things find things to be passionate about um, the next one I think is patience as well um, and again I think it'd be very easy for for anyone of my generation or older to, to look at you know the, the the younger generation and to go oh goodness you know that the, you know the, the youth these days they 've got no patience, uh, you know they, they want Everything immediately click 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 of their fingers, um, you know that is you know nobody is to blame for that other than technology. We're so used to it, um, you know we are all the same. We all expect things quickly, but patience is, is is a virtue. It really is. And if I reflect on big expeditions, you know sometimes you know you might be away for six seven eight weeks at a time, and of that time, you might spend fifty percent of that sitting in base camp not doing anything, and so expecting to be climbing every single day and constantly sort of doing something which is actively helping towards achieving your goal you know sometimes you you need rest days and you need times to to sort of sit back and relax and appreciate that you're playing a longer game
0: Mm. so what would be some of the biggest positives or opportunities you've had out of the uh, mountaineering side of your career
1: for me uh, a couple of things firstly the opportunity to see the world uh, mm. I, again i'm very fortunate um and and i'm not i'm not blind to the fact that in seeing the world of course over the years i i have built up a bit of a carbon footprint as well um you know it's it's uh, unless you do it all virtually if you want to physically go and see the world um and, or you've got a lot of time to bicycle there or go in a canoe uh, <laughs> you you probably are going to have a carbon footprint but it is amazing, and and it just constantly reminds me, of you know, an amazingly diverse world we have, and I'm not just talking sort of, you know, from in terms of physical features, but you know, the people, the cultures, and and that's one of the things I love about mountaineering. Is yes, you're going to climb a, a hill or a mountain or something, but ultimately, uh, a pile of snow and rock in one country is remarkably similar to a pile of snow and rock in another country <laughs> what makes it difference is is often the the journey the cultural journey that you take to get there and the people that you meet along the way um the the other you know thing which i think is is you know really really important and really key uh is is about making the most of the opportunity and what you bring back with it um you know it's very easy to be um uh, sort of selfish and keep not selfish perhaps that's the wrong phrase but sort of to keep things to yourself um you know and i'm just you know very proud that uh, that i'm able to sort of go away and have these amazing experiences that many people won't have uh often because they wouldn't want to have them but um but you know many people who would want to have them you know might not have um but i can share those with others uh and a great example tomorrow morning i am doing a talk for a school in salford uh, who are studying mountains as part of their year three syllabus um and you know it's great just as a zoom call with them um they get to meet a mountaineer and ask me all sorts of awkward questions about how i go to the loo up a mountain what do i eat and stuff um and and that's that's awesome so i think a sense of responsibility for for the experience you've had and what you can bring home with it
2: and on the uh, the flip side of that what would be some of the less favorable aspects of uh, the industry
1: uh so you've got again if you're trying to get sponsorship you've got to be prepared to have a lot of doors slammed in your face um or at least a lot of emails unopened and not not responded to um uh, yeah there is a there is a sense of no matter how passionate you are you can't want it more than them you can't want it more than the other person um so you can't just bang the drum outside somebody's office go please give me money please give me money yeah you will get rejected and so you've got to not be disheartened by it um and so if there's one again one thing that i've learned from that is do not have all your eggs in one basket um so You know, don't sort of, a little bit like job hunting in a way, uh, if you're unemployed, Um, you know, have, you know, multiple feelers out, you know, apply to lots of things at the same time. If you apply for one thing and just focus on that, you know, yes, okay, it shows perseverance and focus, but if then that doesn't come off, you're probably two more months down the line and you're still in the same position um you know yes a little bit more experience but uh you know you still haven't got a job so it's the same with with fundraising for expeditions um from the other the other point you know the worst bits of it is sometimes just the physical elements of it you know you get tired you get hungry you're miserable the altitude sickness um a lot of the time on expeditions you are asking yourself why on earth have i voluntarily chosen to do this am i completely mad (laughs)
0: <laughs> um, we also like to talk a little bit about what people could expect expect to earn salary wise mm-hmm. um, so we did a little bit of research and found some figures and it really did range massively you know some some uh, figures were one hundred and twenty pounds for an overnight you know guide somewhere yep. um, and then' right up at the other high end with with high profile clients, you could look to earn maybe seventy thousand pounds a year Mm. um Mm. so does that sort of sit right with you and your experiences in the industry
1: yes i think it does i mean like many industries it is incredibly broad um you know you know i know of people who frank you know a lot a lot of climbing instructors a lot of guides are self-employed now i know some some people of course i'm not going to mention any names but um legitimately uh of course they tell me they've never they've never passed a tax threshold you know they've earned so little from doing what they've done they've never properly paid tax uh or income tax um but but you know having said that they are rich beyond belief in terms of the experience they've had Mm. uh, and they've chosen that and and this particular person uh who i'm incredibly fond of and i spent a lot of time with uh they they would say you know that they have had you know more experiences than than the greatest man you know the greatest millionaire mountaineer could ever have Mm, Um, and that's cool and actually if someone's you know if you're spending nine months a year on expeditions uh and you're getting paid to do that and it's not costing you anything you know what you make the rest of the time to cover those other three or four months actually is not too bad uh, and then at the other end of the spectrum where you've got either some very high profile uh, adventurers uh you know again your, your adventure influencers perhaps um although possibly we're sort of starting to merge different industries here uh they can be you know earning hundreds of thousands of pounds a year, potentially, um, but it can be real feast or famine, and again, if I think of friends who are at the upper end of those spectrums, you know they can have very good years, um, but also you know you could have a very expensive expedition and something goes wrong on it, uh, and you need to call in a rescue helicopter that costs twenty thousand pounds that costs you twenty thousand pounds. You know, because you can't get insurance for those kind of things or, or whatever it is. So there, uh, yeah, there, there are all sorts of different, different angles that come from it. But uh, as I say, I think the important thing in here is, is don't go into it to get rich, financially speaking. Go into it to get rich from an experiences and adventure and a, and a, and a life experience point of view.
2: Absolutely. And what would be something that's not in the job description? Um, But also on top of that, how easy is it for you to balance the... Passion uh, or the mountaineering with the career? Are they able? Are you able to just do everything within your holiday period?
1: Yeah. So no, not really. So I would normally get you know so sort of five weeks holiday a year, um, of which probably some of that gets used up doing some army stuff as well. Um, yeah. You know, and and amazingly, my family actually want me to go on holiday with them um, <laughs> for some reason. Uh, so so I, I I do that as well. Um, so no, I, again, I'm I'm very fortunate in the, in my in my proper career i say in inverted commas um in my sort of grown-up job that the company that i work for absolutely see me as an individual and who i am and what i bring to the table and and they know who they employed And therefore, every couple of years, I want to do a big expedition. Uh, They've always been incredibly supportive in giving me the time off, you know, whether or not that's been unpaid leave or potentially even partly paid leave uh, to have anything up to two, two and a half months off, which is which is amazing. And I know a lot of a lot of employers uh, wouldn't be in a position to do that um, or it would be difficult uh but i think you know the two aren't mutually exclusive i think there are opportunities obviously if you're self-employed then that's a lot easier and i've, I've met many people over the years who are you know self-employed uh, with a particular you know professional skill so they will be a consultant for six months of the year and then and earn a lot of money doing that and then spend the other six months of the year traveling um you know which is really cool uh and then going back to your point about what's not in the job description um uh, again sort of and i'll probably think of some much better answers to this or funnier answers after i <laughs> put down the phone um but uh but i think i think the main thing is 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 actually spending as almost what feels like as much time in a suit uh as i do in Tex. Um, and and and, and and the reason for that is in in aiming to get other people to to pay for my expeditions and to sponsor them or the public speaking you know it's not all again instagram you know cool pictures on top of mountains there's a lot of you know schlepping up and down motorways to go and do talks or to you know finding a way around london to go and meet people to try and persuade them to pay for your holidays sorry invest in an amazing marketing opportunity <laughs> um and, and and doing that and and as i say coming back to this idea of, of getting rebukes and people you know pushing back and you know doing a lot of stuff for free and you know but again if you're passionate then then actually that's all part and parcel of it
0: have you got any advice for anyone that wants to progress within the mountaineering industry? And I guess just their career in general, because you would have great experience in in people actually doing
1: this. Yeah. Well, I mean, the first things first is I am absolutely delighted for anyone to get in touch with me, please, please do, you know, on social media, Uh, do, you know, drop, drop me a line and delight to sort of, you know, have a chit chat or to give you any advice I can, you know, I am but one person. Um, And so the the first thing, and, and this is probably, you know, for, for any advice in any circumstance, especially around career, is that, you know, I think, they, you know, statisticians would say that to get a, a decent data set, you need at least 20 individual pieces of data. So, therefore, be very wary of going to one person, asking them advice, you know, <laughs> then go to another 19 people and ask their advice. Um, but but from, from my point of view, um, you know, I, I would say you... <laughs> Be, be aware of the cost of getting into it, um, but of course also don't get seduced by the, the social media aspect of it. You know, you, you see... You know, amazing, cool people doing awesome things um, uh, all around the world. You do not have to go to the other side of the world to have an amazing experience. Uh, and a friend of mine, um, Al Humphreys, wrote written an amazing book called Micro Micro Ventures. Uh, and the principle of that was, you know, he, he'd done big adventures all around the world, uh, and then he decided, actually, I don't even know what's three miles from me at home. <laughs> so he, decide, you know, he spent a year just doing mini trips wow. around the UK. Um, yeah. you know, he walked around the M25 in winter oh, wow um you know which is really which is i mean bonkers but amazing and cool yeah yeah um and so the, you know sometimes start small um you know just have an adventure locally uh you know if you happen to live in somewhere in the uk where or, or in whatever country you're listening from where you are near cliffs or mountains or things that you can go and climb on um and obviously making sure you do it safely then then lucky you if you're a little bit further afield then be creative with, with what you do when you do it and how you do it um, as i say I have no idea what my little adventure is going to be at the back end of this year. Um, it's probably going to be a micro adventure in the UK and I'm fine with that.
2: And would you uh, go into uh, the industry and do it all again, if you could?
1: Um, I, yes, I would. Absolutely. From the from the point of view of, of the passion, um, of course, uh, I absolutely love it. Would I do a few things slightly differently? I think any of us would reflect on choices we've made things we've done mistakes we've made uh, and gone oh I wish I hadn't made that boo-boo but also that is part of the rich tapestry of experience that has made us the people that you know stand or sit here today isn't it Um, and so you know frankly if I went back to the beginning I've had an amazing ride I've got some scars uh, from along the way but uh, you know I certainly do not feel that the ride is finished Um, and if anything we're just getting ready to take it to the next level
0: Well, thank you so much for coming on, Jake. It's been an absolute pleasure to chat with you.
1: Guys, thank you, and uh, you know, thank you for everything you're doing, for inspiring people, and uh, for anyone listening, whether or not you're interested in mountaineering and adventure, or not at all. You can't think of anything worse. Uh, wherever you end up going, I wish you all the very best of luck and a safe uh, adventure.
2: Well, thank you so much. And where can people find you on uh, social media?
1: So on Instagram, I'm at Jake underscore climber. On Twitter, at Jake climber, uh, and you can find my website. At uh, sorry, not at my website, uh, www.jakemayer.co.uk, and that's mayor, M E Y E R. I'm sure if you Google Jake and Everest, it'll probably have my ugly mug there.
2: <laughs> well, thank you so much, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you.
1: Thanks, Jake.